So I'm not a Beatles guy by any means. But in 1965, they released a song entitled, Help. <laughs> I need somebody. Uh, you're going to be stuck in your head all day if you know the song. <laughs> not just anybody, help. You know, I need someone, help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help if you can uh, help me if you can. I'm feeling down, and I uh, do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? <laughs> uh, sounds like they needed somebody. <laughs> Almost anybody, maybe not anybody, but somebody to come to their rescue. Jesus addressed a concept similar to this in a parabolic form, just a short little analogy in Luke chapter 6 and verse 39. It says, And he told them a parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Wow. Important words, wouldn't you say? If someone is going to lead you through a difficult time and on a difficult way, it's important that they see the picture and the pathway clearly. So we don't just need anybody's help. We need some help from someone who, who sees and understands and gives good guidance. This morning we will consider how God has given gifts to the church People whom He empowers to lead us as they follow our Savior. In so many ways, the first 11 chapters of Romans affirm how much God cares for us and provides for us. He has provided for us awareness of our need for Jesus Christ. He has provided for us redemption. He has provided for us adoption into His family. He has provided for us His presence by His Spirit. He has provided for us assurance of His love. And He has provided for us an understanding of His faithfulness to fulfill His plan regardless of the magnitude of the opposition. Like we, we all feel like sometimes things aren't going just right. <laughs> and we can be a bit discouraged and, and set off by the difficulties that we face and think, this can't be the plan. This can't be the, the trajectory of my life. This isn't how the journey is supposed to go. But as we see and understand who God is, how He deals with us, He starts to take away from us uh, the, the doubts. Because his track record is a track record of faithfulness. And so while there may be opposition in our pathway, we can start to see it as opposition that God ordains for us that we need and that He will see us through. As we get into chapter 12, and we've been here for a number of weeks, we start to see how God will use us to convey His care. So all those ways in which God has cared for us uh, in the first 11 chapters, He starts to show us how He uses us as vessels of that same care and provision. Of course, we can't provide salvation, but we point people to 
the one who saves. We can see how we are channels of God's grace and kindness to other people. God works in us, and then He works through us. God works His kindness, His grace in us, and then He works that kindness and grace through us. It's a beautiful transition in our lives, and it's very encouraging that God would use people like us to display His care and His goodness. Our care for others is designed to help them see how great He is. Whatever we're trying to do for others, we want to be reflective of God and His nature, as reflective as possible, so that people can see tangibly the kind of tenderness, kindness, compassion, patience that He has. They want, we want them to see that in us. The only way that that's going to happen is as we allow His strength to be at work within us. That's why you know, the title of our, our study this morning is Serving in the Strength that God Provides. And I love the way that Peter uh, writes of this. He, of course, he's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Listen to these words. It's really encouraging for us as believers. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, you've received a gift. It's God's power. Let people see that. Use that gift so that God's grace can be demonstrated. But we don't do that of our own resources. It's not like I have this gift and I've, I've honed it, polished it, and now I want to present my gift to you. No, we, we're channels of God's power, God's varied grace. It says whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So God gives to you and I what we need so that we can help others. And in that process of being channels of God's goodness and channels of God's grace, God is at work redeeming, restoring, and transforming people, including us. His work of transformation has not ceased in our lives. It's not like, oh, I've been saved. I've, I was born again in you know, 1985 or whatever the year is for you. I was, I was born again in 2013. Oh, and now look how far I've come. It's not like that. It, it's, God is still working in 2022. He's changing you still today. And this passage in Romans chapter 12 is a way in which that change and transformation that God is putting in action in our lives impacts those around us. So let's take a look at the passage again. Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 3 and read right down through verse 8. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's, there's a lot there. We've already looked at a number of these. God uses us to show His nature through these gifts. Uh, we are reflective of God in His power through these gifts. Uh, we talked about the speaking gifts previously. The speaking gifts are prophecy and teaching and exhortation, all three of which are utilized. God uses our speech to bring people to an understanding of who He is. What are we going to tell them? We're going to tell them of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. How God, perfect and righteous and holy, wants to make people in a right relationship with Him. And He has done this through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we tell people that God has provided every bit of what they need to be right with God. That's in the speaking gifts. And then in the serving gifts, we've talked about a, a couple of these already. In, if in our serving, in our service, if in contributing, do it in generosity. Uh, those are gifts that we spoke of the last time we were together in Romans 12. And now we want to look at this uh, concept of leading. The one who leads with zeal. That is our task this morning. Just to understand that concept. The one who leads... Let that one do that leading with zeal. So there's a lot that can be thought of as a result of that very small section of Scripture. God has gifted you, and He's gifted me, to make an impact in the lives of others. And some of us have been given the gift of leading. What are we doing with that leadership gift? What does it mean? Well, the one who leads, the word there means to set or place before to stand before, to superintend, to be a protector or guardian. You see that? Or that last expression, to care for. It's as if what we're doing is we're, we're showing people the safe way. We're showing people the safe way. While we're leading people, to whom are we pointing them? Oh, follow me. Oh, follow me. Well, maybe I might say that in the right context, like Paul did. Follow me as I follow Christ. When you see me following Christ, follow me. <laughs> that's, that's good. That puts a lot of pressure on the leader. <laughs> because um, you all know, you live with yourself 24 hours a day, don't you? Yeah? You ever have any hours in the day that are not so spectacular? Yeah, you're like the rest of us. So we don't say, follow me no matter what I do. We say, follow me as I'm following Christ. If I'm following Christ. When I'm following Christ, follow me there. If I'm, if I'm running contrary, stop following at that point. Unless you see me repenting. Because repentance is part of the Christian life where we recognize that we've gone off course and we turn back to a gracious merciful God. That is a wonderful thing to emulate. Now the gift of uh, leadership is inherent in the, the call to being an elder or a pastor. 
It's part of the process. You can't be a pastor or an elder if you are not given the gift of leading. Uh, it's very clear because of the way that Paul uses the words in 1 Timothy. Let's take a look there, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives this list of qualifications for those who would serve in the office of elder. And part of ministry of eldership or pastoring is leading other people. And he utilizes it in a, in a very, um, I think it's a very clear way. He, he gives us a tangible way to assess whether someone is capable of leading other people. Look at verses 4 and 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This elder, or prospective elder, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the, the two terms that are, are interesting is the, the term manage and the term care for. And as dads, now none of us is a perfect father, right? Like I want to be. Like I would desire to do everything perfectly in leading my children. But as a father, I know I, 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 I don't always do things the right way. Sometimes I might be impatient might be tired, and so I might not be as in tune at a particular point. So like, we all have areas that we, we recognize are not perfect as dads. But what we do know, as a general rule, is I want to lead my children well. I want to teach them proper work ethic, right? I want to teach them how to be a, a good husband at some point or a good wife at some point. I want to teach my children to be able to be a good parent at some point. I want them to be able to go into the workplace and, and be able to function properly and be respectful human beings. We try to teach them all these like normal parts of daily life. We want to teach them how to be clean. You don't want them to go around and they don't shower, they don't brush their teeth, you know, things like that. We teach them all these normal things. But more than anything, I don't know about you, at the, the very tip-top of my priorities as a dad is I want my children to know who God is. I want them to know who Jesus Christ is. I want them to understand how God is a faithful, loving, enduring, patient God whose love is never taken away, but it is offered continuously. I want them to know that there is refuge found in Jesus Christ. And if my children know that and have come to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that is my, the very number one thing in my whole life as a dad has been that burden has been eased. If they know who God is and have come to trust Him and to see Him as a good, good Father, as a saving, forgiving God. So we teach them these things. And we care for our house. You know, as, as a dad, you want to make sure that your children are protected from you know, strange philosophies. You don't want them to be overcome with the lusts of their flesh that like, every time they want something, they get it. Because like, at some point, you're going to reach something that you want that you ought not have. So we want to train them in all these things. And so we, we teach our kids all kinds of things. We're trying to protect them, govern them, guide them. Uh, and, and lead them by example, by example, to follow hard after that which really matters. 
And if we can't do that in our homes, how can we then transition it into the life of the church? If I, if I can't teach my children by my words and actions what it means to see Christ as the ultimate treasure and God as the ultimate refuge, how can I do that in God's church? And the answer is I can't. If I don't lead my children that way, I can't lead other people that way. Well, maybe, maybe some people will be impacted, but eventually there'll be, it'll be obvious that there's flaws in the way that we lead. In two chapters, two chapters later in 1 Timothy, look at chapter 5 and verse 17. Chapter 5 is a great chapter. The first 16 verses are dedicated to the care of those who have lost their husbands the care of widows. And then at the, the last portion deals with the tr- proper treatment of elders. In verse 17, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The concept of rulership, again, is that of leading people. Leading people to what? To see who God is, teaching and leading people to hear what God says, teaching people to entrust everything they are, everything they are to God. Helping people to understand that you could place every last concern that you have in God's hands and know that He cares and know that He will have His way. And sometimes it won't go the way that we want it to go. But He's still superintending over all of it. And so this passage is telling us that those that are leading one another are leading one another toward an understanding of who God is and what God does. If you were going to teach someone, let's say you're just you're, you're ministering to your children or you're ministering to your spouse or someone else, if you were going to minister to someone and try to help them to, to, to know how to hear God, what would you say to them? You know what you'd say to them if you're going to answer their question correctly? There's only one place that God has clearly spoken. Open it. Talk to him. Read it and listen. When I say listen, I'm not saying listen for some mystical voice. God's word has been declared. There it is. It's not complicated. That doesn't mean that there aren't complicated portions. There certainly are. But if you read, by and large, through the scriptures, just read, you will get the message that God loves broken people like you. And like me, that God loves us and that God has provided for us, that God cares for us, that God hears us, that God is working. He's working. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't go on vacation. He's working. And his work is a good work. He is for us. 
Do you know that God is for those who come to him? Have you come to him? Have you seen what the Bible portrays about him? Have you come to him? If you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. And when you come to him and he makes you accepted in the beloved, as Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, when he does that, you can know for sure, no matter what you face, no matter how deep the waters get, no matter how much the resistance feels, you can know this. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can stand against us? People can be against us. But can they stand against us? Well, temporarily, but ultimately, no. This is the joy of knowing God. We're ultimately showing people the value of following after Jesus Christ. And hopefully we can say, follow me as I'm following Christ. Hopefully we can say that with integrity. We want to lead others. But you know, just so you know, and you've experienced this as a parent, so you can relate it to this giftedness of being called to lead other, others toward the Lord this oversight of others in 1 Thessalonians is related to uh, laboring. <laughs> like an intense, tiresome labor. In other words, it's a costly endeavor. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews talks about the, the responsibility that elders have of watching out for your souls. And the word actually has the idea of sleeplessness. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure that comes. And I would like to just give a little sampling of that pressure from the Scriptures because I think it's important to understand. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And the reason I want for us to understand this pressure is, remember, back in our text, back in Romans chapter 12, he says, the one who leads, do it with zeal. Zeal. That's, zeal is passion. Do it with passion. And I'll tell you, anxiety and burden crush passion. Anxiety and burden are, ang are, are passion crushers. You've, you've experienced it, right? You've been in those, those moments of anxiety. And you know in the middle of your most anxious moments... Either you want to passionately stuff food in your face or you want to passionately not stuff food in your face. Remember, you, ah, I don't really even want to, I don't even feel like eating. Have you, have you been in one of those two situations? You're so anxious, you either stuff your face full or you say, I'm not eating. Well, you can tell there's something, there's a relationship between the anxiety and burden and our passion. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen to Paul. <laughs> He gives this listing of all the experience he's had and, and how he's experienced pain and turmoil and shipwreck and all these kinds of things. Verse 24, he says, Five times, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned like they actually threw stones at him. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger by rivers, danger by, from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Like The, the list is heavy, yes? Like, we read this on, on the page, and we're like, all right, yes, yeah, I know that all happened. But like, think about it. Like, think about actually receiving 39 whips on your back and having the skin ripped off. Think about actually having someone take a rod and smash you with it. Think about being hit with a rock. Now multiple rocks. Think about actual hunger. An actual thirst, an actual turmoil, and actually thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. Is this ship going down? What's going on? All these burdens, real, real life tragedy. Verse 28, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And then he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? This pressure, daily pressure. The, the word there means to stir up. It's like my insides are shh. I pray regularly. I don't know about you. Lord, please let your peace rule in my heart. Because I know I can't offer peace from what I have right now. I can't offer peace out of this turmoil and this stirring inside of me. Stirred up. So Lord, give me Your peace to umpire over my soul so that when I have that peace, Your peace will flow through me. So he's talking about being stirred up. And what is he stirred up about? My anxieties, it's plural actually, my anxieties for all the churches. It's this anxieties that he's talking about here is the same concept that Peter tells us to cast all your anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. He cares for you. Those who are called to lead feel this pressure. Too often, we take burdens on our own shoulders that we cannot manage. We want to lift someone out of depression. And we want to take away someone's anxieties. And we want someone to be healed. And we want someone's circumstances to change. We want to fix that broken relationship. We want to. We want to. And if I had it, I, if I had my own way and I had a resource to fix this or that or the other, I, I would I would. Surely do it. But my resources run short. I'm unable to do that. All of these demands come crushing down on us. And our spirits can really be broken from all of these burdens. Listen. We were not meant 
to carry that burden on our shoulders. We seek to lead people to God. He is the only one who can relieve the burdens of those whom we care for, and he is the only one who can relieve our burdens. We're not strong enough, but the one who has called us is. This is why we don't lead people to us. I don't want to make my children dependent on me. We try to raise our children so they can be dependent on the Lord and then go out on their own. I'm not going to hold them in. Oh, no, no, no. They're, they're, they're mine and I'm not letting up. No, that, that's not how it works. You raise, you're called to raise your children so they can go out and you entrust them to the Lord. There's an important concept to grasp. To truly lead others to follow after Jesus, we must learn to follow after Him ourselves. Caring for other people's needs is great. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. But if you attend to their troubles with your own strength and resources, their problems eventually beat you down, sop all of your strength, and crush you. And you know what happens? It removes your motivation to help others. Burden generally crushes passion. And so Romans 12.8 says, the one who leads do so with zeal. Do it with zeal. Why why do we feel the way we do? Why do I feel crushed? Why do I feel beaten down? It's, it's good every now and then to assess what has sopped us of our motivation. And, and I think the Bible gives us a few thoughts on what can sop us of our motivation. I'll remind you of a couple of concepts. Remember John Mark was on a missions journey with uh, Paul and Barnabas? John Mark left. Why did he leave? Well, the persecution that Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark were experiencing were intense. And he didn't like it, so he hit the road, Jack. He did come back, though. He came back for some more. Just didn't happen to go with Paul anymore. But John Mark, was, was, his motivation was impacted because of the persecution's difficulties. Paul, in Galatians 6, warns you and me. He says, don't grow weary while doing good. What, what does he say for a motivator? He says, for in due season you'll reap if you do not lose heart. What causes us to lose heart? Well, I have this expectation that there's going to be a reward here, that there's going to be a, a payoff, that something is going to happen. I'm, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and the result will be this. And it doesn't happen that way. It goes differently. And we're like, was it worth it? God says, don't think like this. I have a bigger picture. <laughs> you, you sow to the Spirit, eternal life is available. I'm working. I'm working. And then if you think about, remember a man named Demas? Paul was writing his swan song, his last letter, 2 Timothy, 
and, he, and he's writing to, to Timothy, hey, come and join me. I'm alone. Bring, the, bring, bring my books. Bring the scrolls. Bring a cloak. I'm cold. I, I'm lonely. Come. Bring, bring John Mark with you. Bring it full, full circle there. Bring John Mark with you. Demas has forsaken me. Remember what he said was the reason? Having loved this present age. So what sopped Demas' motivation? He's just looking all around him thinking, well, that over there is better than what I've got going on right here. And he just went on after it. There are a lot of things that can sop our motivation. But I think better than trying to figure out what, what the me- mechanism of sopping our motivation is and, and trying to you know, analyze it to death, I think we're much better off recognizing that it's when we rely on our own resources that, that we're going to end, our, end up in a, in a situation where we feel empty. All your plans, all your purposes, all your desires, you put it all together, spread yourself thin, and you come up with nada. It's very discouraging. What do we do in the midst of that? I have good news for you. I have good news for you if you feel empty. I have good news for you if your insides are stirred up and you have great care and anxiety for this person, that person, or the other person. I have great news for you if you feel shot and crushed. Jesus offers to you rest. Listen to what the Bible says in Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why does he say his burden is light? Well, on this side of the cross, I can say that his burden is light because he has already finished the job. He's accomplished what was needed. Everything I need for my inner person, for my spirit, for my soul, everything I need is found in Christ. And it's from that place of freedom and security in Jesus Christ that we confidently point others to God's beautiful provision in Christ. So we're we're talking about leading other people, right? But I want to remind you about your Savior. some, Some wonderful truths. As our good shepherd... He laid down His life for us. As our great shepherd, He gives us security that we belong in His eternal kingdom. And He gives us leadership by working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. So there's there's the, 
the security of knowing we're in his kingdom. There's the security of knowing that Jesus died for us. And there's the security that he's working in us to make us pleasing to the Father. This is the work of Jesus Christ by God's glorious grace. And as our chief shepherd, we can know that he is giving us confidence that he will return and make all things right. You want, you want leadership? We have the ultimate leader. He's the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. He is with us through every up and down, through every twist and turn. And so we become positively passionate, zealous about what God is offering because we have found true and lasting peace and salvation in Jesus Christ. One last passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last passage for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We become positively passionate about what God is offering because we have found true and lasting peace, eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians 9 about the gospel and his gospel ministry. And he's starting in verse 23 is where we're going to pick it up. 1 Corinthians 9.23 I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. He's talking about what motivates him to bring the gospel to people day in and day out. Why he goes into the highways and byways. Why he goes to the synagogue. Why he goes to the church. Why he was eager to preach the gospel to those who were at Rome. He, he does it all to bring the gospel. To bring the gospel to believers. To bring the gospel to unbelievers. And listen to the, the imagery he uses in verses 24 and following. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? That sounds like zeal. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. If I'm going to run, I'm running toward the tape, right? Or if you're like a runner like me and you hate running, what you're doing is you're finding some kind of a landmark and you're going to run to that. And then you find another landmark and you run to that. Uh, you've got to have some, something that's keeping your attention. You're going to keep on going. And if you're a boxer... You're not just going to like, you know, throw these you know, weird punches and do weird stuff. You're, gonna, you're actually aiming at your target, right? You're bringing your hand back. You're ready to go. What's, what's the reason? If you're boxing, your job is to not end up on the mat. Right? That's the goal. So you're boxing and you're, you're not going to beat the air. What does that mean you're beating, friends? The other person, you know... Whether it's in the kidney shots or, or it's in the face. I don't know. I'm not a boxer at this point in my life. But, but you're, you're going for, for the target. This is all about zeal. This is all about passion. And he's not actually talking about punching someone in the face. He's talking about not losing focus. He's talking about leading others with zeal. What are we leading them to? We're leading them towards someone. 
We're leading them toward Christ. Why would I be passionate about leading someone toward Christ? Because I know how God responds. I know how Jesus responds to everyone who comes to Him. Don't you know this? Everyone who comes to Him receives from Him what they need. What do I need? Well, of course, I I need a million dollars. Not that. No. You know the million dollars? You'll either spend it, it'll be stolen, or you'll leave it behind. That doesn't matter. You know what you need? Real security. The security that one day when you stand before God, He'll say, Welcome, my child. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what we need. And everyone that comes to Jesus Christ in faith, knowing that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Everyone that comes to Him believing in in His name, they have become, have the right to be declared the children of God. That is to everyone who believes on His name. This is the confidence we have. And so we can confidently zealously, passionately point one another to Him and point people outside to Him because we know who He is. And we know what He's like. And we know what He's offering. How could I not be passionate? You know how I cannot be passionate? Crushing burden taking it all on yourself like you can save the world. You can't. You can't save you. You can't save your spouse. You can't save your kids. You can't save your best friend. You can't save anybody. But you know someone who can. So leading people is leading people to Him. And we let Him, the God of salvation, take that seed sown or that water spread on top of the seed and we let Him give that increase confidently. Having learned of the humble sacrifice of Jesus Christ who spent every last bit of Himself as He laid down His life for our sin, Paul is willing to lay it all on the line. He, by God's grace, sought to lead others to Jesus Christ with zeal because of the zeal that he saw in Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. But when we are spent in God's grace, God replenishes the strength. This is serving with the strength that God provides. It is inexplicable. It doesn't make sense that a person that invests time and energy and everything they have and lays it all on the line has energy to do something else. But you know what, friends? 
this is what we need is the supernatural empowerment by a glorious, constant, faithful God. Has someone led you to Christ? Who are you leading? Who are you showing? Who are you pointing to Christ? Day in and day out, there are opportunities. When we lead them there, we have the assurance of the kind of God He is. He's kind and faithful and loving. He's a powerful shepherd. And He enhances our passion to lead people to Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You that You have called us by Your grace and called us by Your name. You've given to us life and You've given it to us abundantly. We have seen and tasted Your glory. Help us, Father, that you'd give us a passion to lead others toward you, to point them to you, and by your grace to demonstrate what you're like for your glory and their good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.